Good morning, everybody. Are you all good? I just have such an overwhelming, I don't know, sense of the presence of Jesus this morning. So I'm feeling a little bit, you know that feeling? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my. So um, I have an expectation of what the Lord is going to do this morning. And so we're just going to jump straight into the word. Is that all right? If you've got your Bibles, let's just go to John chapter 4. Whilst you're finding John 4, I just want to thank you for having Maddie and myself here this weekend. It's been such a joy to be with you. We had the day yesterday with your leaders, and uh, I think I've just fallen in love with every single one of them, to be honest. They're just utterly brilliant people, and it's been an honor to be here, so thank you. Um, So we're going to start John 4, and I'm going to read from verse 19. It's not John 4. I think it's Luke 19. going well so far. Maybe just shut your Bible and listen to me. Here we go. (laughs) Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a beautiful story. About nine years ago, the office, when I was living in Africa, our office was um, next to the village school. And when we moved to uh, live in Uganda, we decided that we wanted to move and live amongst the people that we had gone there to love and to serve, right? And so that's what we did. And most of the kind of expat community lived the opposite side of the city to where we were. So we were kind of the only Western family for about a 10 mile radius at the time. And, um, and we just wanted to immerse ourselves into culture because it made no sense to me. It didn't make any 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 sense to decide that I wanted to give my life to serve someone that I intentionally wanted to not live with. You know what I mean? It just made no sense. And so we just moved into the neighborhood. And um, <laughs> my children, I said to them, right, kids, let's go off to the local village school. You'll be fine. And just kind of sent them off. They were six and nine years old. And they went to the village school. And it was next to our, our compound. And I always say to people, it was an interesting education, not really one of the academic kind, more like a, you know, an education of life. But they learned some really, some really um, interesting things. And one day, we'd come back. We'd, we'd been out there for our first six months, right? And we came back to visit our sending churches to give a little report on how our first six months were in Africa. And we walked up at one church one morning and the pastor came up to me and he said, oh, Nicola, so glad you're here. Would really love to interview your family this morning and just find out what it is that you've learned about life and about Jesus in your first six months overseas. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, sure. 
sure, I love to tell people some stuff. So kind of just before the worship, he called my family up and my husband and I and our two children, we got up on the stage and he gives me the microphone and I share a few little thoughts as you do, you know. And it's going quite well. And then he gives the microphone to my son. And my son takes hold of the microphone and, and then this pastor with this really earnest expression turns to my son and says, James, so tell me, what is it that you've learned about yourself and about Jesus? What is it that you've really learned that you feel is very valuable in your first six months living in Uganda? And he's looking at my son, expecting this very spiritual child of a missionary to have some kind of beautiful response. My son takes hold of the microphone and he goes like this. What I've learned is how to castrate a cow and how many goats I need to secure myself a good wife. And I'm like, oh. And then I think, I was watching the pastor thinking, how are you going to segue this into worship? You know, this will be an interesting moment. It was hilarious. One day we were in our kitchen and I was cooking, which is a rare thing. But I was cooking and I was chopping up some carrots. I remember it so well. And I was chatting to my husband because... It was the rainy season and we'd had particularly heavy rains and a lot of the communities where we serve are built in swamps and so when the rainwaters come, you know, the river rises, the swamp floods and we have children just washed away and they die and all sorts of horrible things happen and I was feeling quite distressed that evening because the rains were like... And I'm chatting with my husband whilst I'm cooking dinner and my son comes over and he's like, Mom, like, relax, stop being so stressed. I'm like, James, you don't understand. He goes, no, Mom, you don't understand. It's all right. I said, well, what, how do you know that? And he said, well, this kind of rain, mum, it's, it's the female rain. I said, it's the what, darling? <laughs> I said, it's female rain. You know the two types of rain, mum? It's just female rain. No need to worry. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, James. What do you mean two types of rain? He said, you know, we're learning about it at school. There's two types of rain. So I said, well, tell me about these two types of rain. He said, well, you know that rain that's like really big raindrops and it comes really hard and fast and it just falls down and it's like furious and it never stops. I said, yeah, he goes, that's male rain. I said, right, okay. Mm. So, then, so then I said to him, okay, and, he said, and you know that other type of rain? Those kind of funny raindrops that just aren't really anything? They just kind of float down and don't really do much, but they just keep coming. I'm like, yes, that's female rain. And I'm like, hmm. I could feel like, you know, my inner feminist rising just said, let's sit down, son, and have a chat, you know. So they learned some interesting things, and they had also an excellent education, and it was really very, very fun. But the point of the story is that our office was next to my children's school. That's basically why I'm telling you that story, because it's funny. And uh, one day, I'm, I'm sat in my office, and one of my son's teachers comes in, and she says to me, Nicola, I need your help. So I'm like, sure, what, what can I do for you? And she said, my nephew lives far, far out in the bush, and, and he's got himself caught up in kind of... Um, drug culture, he's become an addict, he's drinking heavily, he's getting caught up into kind of crime and gang culture, and I'm deeply concerned for him, and, and I feel like unless I intervene, he's either going to end up dead or in prison. And so I was like, I'm so sorry, that's, that's super, super hard, but how can I help you? He said, well, I'm thinking if I could remove him from that situation and bring him to Kampala, then I, I could maybe help break him free from where he's at. I said, okay. She said, so basically, he needs a job. Would you give him one? <laughs> so I said to her, sure, I'll give him a job. He can work for me. So she brought her nephew to Kampala, and um, he became part of our team. 
Now, we weren't stupid. We had all of our safeguarding stuff in place, and we were very sensible. But he became part of our team. He joined our family. And um, I'm not going to lie, the first five years were a little bit bumpy, <laughs> to be honest. It took a while, you know, and, and, and every time he did something that was not okay, he was challenged, and he was challenged hard, mostly by me. But change didn't happen overnight, but we kept walking with him. And about five years down the road, we began to see some fruit. And in the whole process of it all, lots of people from the village would come to us and would say to us, what are you doing? Like, are you stupid? Why are you wasting your time with this guy? He's just, he's a, he's a write-off, you know? It's just, he's a waste of time. He'll never change. He'll never become anything. What are you doing? And, and I, I, it used to make me angry because I can't come into agreement with what they were saying over his life, regardless of his behavior, because that was never what Jesus was saying over him, right? That was never what Jesus was saying over him. And, and every time I looked at this young man, when he'd stolen money out of my bag again, or when he'd done something stupid or come into work high again, and I had to challenge him, every time I looked into his eyes, all I would see was this beautiful potential for greatness. I could see it. All I could see was this, this specialness about him, this uniqueness about him, this beauty about him. And in our ministry, we, we have this saying, we say that every life, every single life, hence our name, every life is born with God-given potential, just waiting to be released on the inside of them. It's formed when he knits them together in their mother's womb, you know? Everyone is formed with this God-given potential and gifts and skills and calling, and we call it gold. But sometimes that gold, it just gets buried, you know, by the dirt of life or the dirt of pain or circumstance or addiction or suffering or poverty and it gets buried and sometimes it's just buried a little bit deeper in some people than it is in others, but it's always there. It's always there. And so we gave ourselves to mine for it. We gave ourselves to walk the long haul with him and to relentlessly and continuously mine for the gold that we knew was buried inside of this young man. And it was a beautiful thing to just see slowly, slowly, and I really do mean slowly, slowly over the years, as we mined and as we loved him and as we committed ourselves to him, we were able to just see that kind of dirt of rejection and that dirt of shame and fear and all that comes with that begin to fall away and this beautiful treasure begin to appear. And when it did, it was breathtaking. And it was an honor to watch love really just come and heal this deeply wounded soul and bring him back to life. And he, he's amazing. He's still on our staff team now. He, he went back to school in the evenings. He studied social work. He came out with an amazing degree. And he is now one of the very best social workers that we have on our staff because he is able to go into the bars where the addicts are or to outside the brothels where the gangs are hanging out and the pimps are and relate to them in a way that I never could. <laughs> 
and he comes up and I watch him, I watch him do the same with them as we did with him, right? And he walks with them and he draws up alongside them and he begins to mine for the gold in the lives of these people and he walks them into the same freedom that he himself has experienced and it's stunning. Is he perfect? <laughs> Far from it. I was there in September and we had to have a little chat <laughs> again. But he's beautiful and he's become a son to me and my husband and I am so bustingly proud of this young man. He's epic. And if you go back to this story about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was not a drug addict. He wasn't an alcoholic, you know, but he did lead a fairly corrupt lifestyle. He really did. And tax collectors were seen as very evil and crooked people. They were like, um, it, the job in itself attracted some of the kind of least reputable people of society, you know? And their job as a tax collector was to go out to the people and collect the taxes that were owed on behalf of Rome. But what they used to do in order to earn their salary was they would go and collect what was, um, what was owed and then they would take more on top, sometimes double, sometimes treble, sometimes quadruple what was owed to line their own pockets and to pay their own way. And so people did not like tax collectors and their kind of collection process was very unregulated. It was often very violent. And they would come and they would take the money from that person by any means necessary. They were not liked by the people. And it says here that Zacchaeus, he wasn't just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. There was not a lot of love in the hearts of the people for Zacchaeus. It just wasn't. But what about Jesus? Do you know, my friend... I have a friend who's an amazing theologian, and I love to bounce things around with him because I'm just not. And I love to bounce things with him sometimes. And I said, help me understand just how despised Zacchaeus was. Like, help me understand. He said, Nicola, the best way I can explain it to you is like this. It's as if he was a Frenchman working on behalf of Nazi Germany in occupied France. He would have been seen as an utter traitor to his people, he would have been hated, despised, rejected, shunned by everyone, and also feared. That's how people saw Zacchaeus when they looked at him, right? But what about Jesus? What was it that Jesus saw when he looked in the eyes of Zacchaeus? Did he see a guy who was doing stuff that he knew was wrong? Of course he did. Did he understand how Zacchaeus was seen in the eyes of the people? Undeniably, of course he did. He understood exactly who Zacchaeus was, and he understood exactly how he was perceived by the people all around him. So what Jesus does is absolutely stunning in this story, because he's walking down the road, and he sees Zacchaeus, right? He sees this man who is a tax collector and is corrupt and is all this stuff and hated by the people, but he also sees something else. He sees potential for beauty. He sees potential for greatness. He sees everything that he created within him. That's what he sees. And he sees the desperateness of Zacchaeus to see him. That he's climbed a tree and he's hanging in the branches just to get a glimpse of this man that he's heard about. Jesus saw all of it. 
And then he does this just incredible thing. He walks down the road. He sees Zacchaeus hanging in the branches. And then he calls out, does he? He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I need to come to your house today. Like it was a shocking statement that Jesus said. He calls him out by name. I love that. He knew him. He calls him out by name and basically invites himself to move in. It's just beautiful. I love it. There would have been many more righteous men and women in town that Jesus could have gone and hung out with that day. There would have been a Pharisee or two around, probably a police, probably a Levite. Many more reputable people that Jesus could have chosen to hang out with, but he chose Zacchaeus. Isn't that amazing? And all the people seeing this whole thing play out, like they are offended. And they start saying like, what's he doing? What's Jesus up to? Like, has he lost his mind? He's going to the house of a sinner? Like, what is he doing? Doesn't he understand who this guy is? Doesn't he understand what this guy has done? Jesus understood it all. And in a very public and bold act of love that flung in the face of the crowd and of religion and of everything that that would dictate, he makes this outrageous, incredible statement that shows a depth of compassion and grace and mercy in his heart for this broken man. And it really moves me. I, I, I find this story nothing short of stunning. It's just stunning to me. And if we can grasp hold of the truth of what happened in this moment, or actually allow the truth of it to grasp hold of us, <laughs> it could profoundly change the way that we live out faith to the world that is around us. Yesterday, when we were spending time with the leaders, we started in John chapter 1, and verse 14, I, I really love it, and it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. It's beautiful. But I read it in the message. In the message, this is so good, it says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that cool? The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what he does. <laughs> That's who he is. He is not some kind of God who kind of stands back on the sidelines, you know, just watching everything play out and making judgment calls and issuing commands from the side while just, you know, remotely observing our lives. He's not that kind of God. He's the kind of God who chooses to get up close and personal. He chooses to move into your house. He moves, chooses to move into our communities, into our neighborhoods. He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. It's who he is. And in the, in the very act of Jesus choosing to come down and move in to our neighborhood, he changed everything on a massive scale for all of eternity. And he changed the life of Zacchaeus too. It's interesting to me in this story that Jesus didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, repent of your sin, give proof to me that you've done a nice walking out period for a set amount of time, and then I shall consider whether you are holy enough for me to live with you. He didn't do that. 
He didn't do that. He just went, hey, Zacchaeus, come here just as you are. I'm coming to hang out in your home. I want to be with you. Isn't that stunning? It's just stunning. It just messes with my head. It's beautiful. He chooses to draw close to Zacchaeus in the midst of his sin and shame. And the impact on Zacchaeus' life is instant. He can read it. Right here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've stolen from anyone, I'm just going to pay them four times back. It's like, boom. Instant. That is the power of love. That is the power of acceptance. That is the power of grace. That is the power of mercy. That is the power of kindness. That is the power of inclusivity. That is the power of come just as you are. Because I call you loved. It's beautiful. So what about us is my challenge really this morning. And this isn't, you know, this this isn't some kind of amazing boom message. It's very simple. But my challenge to you and I, I guess, is so what about us? (laughs) Where is it that we're called to move in with someone? To get up close and personal. To choose to look at someone and say, I don't see all of that stuff. I see who Jesus has made you to be. I see the gold that Jesus has put into your life. I see the beauty of who he created you to be. And I'm going to give my life to see it come forth. Whatever the cost, however long it takes, whatever the sacrifice, I will dig deep And I will walk life with you because I believe in you. Every time I I see this story, because I'm a visual person, it plays out in my mind. I just think, what must it have been like for Zacchaeus? Because people would see him as his job, right? They would see him as his sin. They would see him as what they judged him to be. But inside that shell of his skin was a person. There was a person who would have been hurting and full of shame and anger and everything in between. And it's like in this moment, you can feel it. You can feel it as Jesus looks at him and says, I see through it all and I see you. And I like what I see because I created it and so it's good. So let's have that come forward. The rest of it, we're going to get rid of. Isn't that credible? So, who is the one in your arena of life who's hanging in the branches of a tree, (laughs) waiting for you to stop and say, hey, I see you. I think I might just move into your house if that's all right. (laughs) I'm going to step into your world and I'm going to walk life with you. Who is it that you are called to give yourself to to sacrifice for, to count the cost, to stay the course with them, regardless of the cost or however long it takes, and settle for nothing short of complete transformation. And I feel like that's a challenge to us individually. It's definitely a challenge to me. (laughs) But it's also a challenge to you as a family, and I'll just lay it out there, and you guys, you know, do with it what you want. But for this town, for this town, for this place, 
Will you commit to the mining process for the long haul? So I see you, Ashford. I see you and I see everything that God created you to be. And I'm going to call out the gold in this town and I'm going to fight for it and I'm going to mine for it and I'm not going to give up and I'm going to be relentless in my love for you, town of Ashford, until I see total transformation and I will settle for nothing less. Nothing less. Do I believe that God is powerful enough to transform a whole community? 100%. I have no question in my mind whatsoever. It's absolutely possible. It's possible. But we have to take our place. So should we stand up? We're going to pray. Let's just close our eyes because there's a few little things that I feel like the Lord wants to do and then we'll just see what happens. Jesus, we really love you and we're so grateful that when you look at us, you don't write us off because we're all broken. We're all works in progress. We all have a story. And we're so thankful that when you looked at us, you said, I choose you. I love you. I believe in you. I'll walk with you into your freedom and your healing. And we're so grateful, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that right now for everyone in this room that you would just begin to drop into their minds names of individuals who you are calling them to do the same. And just wait and hear what Holy Spirit says. It might be a person in your family. Sometimes that's the hardest place of all. But who's the one? Look at them. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you how he sees them. I know that you guys here as a church already have a huge amount of compassion projects and they're reaching out all of the time. But this morning when I woke up, I felt the Lord say I want to release like a fresh, um, almost like a fresh release of compassion in the room, like an impartation of a, of a deeper compassion, compassion of Christ into your hearts. And so if, if you feel comfortable, I just encourage you to hold your hands out in a kind of a receiving posture of like, Lord, come and, and release a fresh depth of your compassion. I ask for an impartation of your heart into my heart. I ask for an exchange of your heart for my heart this morning. Break my heart open for the people which your heart breaks for. And then just receive it. Lord, I ask you to release it right now in the room. Your spirit of compassion would be released. That you would break our hearts for the things that break yours. That you would cause us to fall in love with the people that your heart longs for. Give us eyes to see as you do. And ears to hear what you say over those people. say yes to you Jesus we say yes to every plan and purpose you have for this family here we say yes come and have your way and I feel like as well this the Lord was saying this morning that there are people here that know that need to know that he sees you he sees you he sees through your pain, through your shame, into the very center of who he created you to be, and he sees you. 
and he sees your circumstance and he sees your situation. He sees the mountain that you have standing in front of you and he has great compassion for you. And I believe he wants to come and meet with you this morning and minister himself. And I don't know how you do prayer ministry, but if you are sick in any way in your body or if you have pain in any part of your body, can you just raise your hand? Wow, it sounds a lot of people. If you're standing next to someone with a hand raised, I want you to turn to them and just lay your hand gently on their shoulder. And all you need to say is, Kingdom of God, would you come right now and invade this body with the healing and resurrecting life of Jesus. Let it come. Let it come. We've already heard this morning, he's the God of the impossible. Father, I ask for just a healing anointing to be released in this room right now. I ask that you would come and release angels around this room to minister life and to minister your healing. And I take authority over every spirit of sickness. I take authority over it in Jesus' name and I say no more. And I say, kingdom of God, come into your body right now. Will of God be done in your body right now. Pain leaves and healing comes. Thank you, Jesus. And just breathe him in. Breathe him in. For some of you, it's a healing actually in your heart or your mind that you need. And if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but maybe turn to your friend who knows you and say, can you just pray for me? We're just going to allow the tender love of Jesus to come where there's fear, where there's anxiety, where there's depression. It's the love and the, and the presence of Jesus just to come very gently and minister to your soul. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. He sees you. He knows you by name. He loves you. He is for you and not against you. He does not condemn you. He embraces you. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.